Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 32, verses 24 through 32. Be reading from the New Living Translation. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with man and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel do not eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Jacob is a fascinating and very complex character, uh, as we know at this time, such that we are meant, I believe, to see our lives in the life of Jacob. Are we not fascinating and complex creatures as well? Moreover, we are meant to see how Jacob's God, our God, whose willingness to choose characters like Jacob, like us, startles us and invites us to consider God's promises and what it may take for us to hold on to them. All right, I want you to imagine for a moment that you had conflict with a family member or a close friend. I know that's radical, but just, just imagine that you did. And that that conflict has estranged the two of you and your families. Imagine you hadn't seen them in years and you've never met their children. Oh, and by the way, imagine that the conflict is all your fault. It's, it's your fault. It's my fault. Now, imagine that you're returning to your hometown where they still live, this person that you had this great conflict with, and you face the inevitable prospect of meeting this estranged person. That's about what it was like, and multiply that, for Jacob at this point in the story. This, the root conflict for Jacob concerns his brother Esau, as you'll remember. 
This is the conflict that caused Jacob to be on the run for the better part of his life at this point. This is, uh, and this is conflict with his brother Esau. And in their absence from one another, while Jacob's been on the run and living in a foreign land, and Esau's been at home, they've both prospered greatly. They've both done really well. God has blessed both of them immensely. They've both experienced these wonderful love stories. They have houses full of children, and they have great material wealth also. And they have quite the wagon trains of people who work for them and have their back in any affair you can imagine. Now, because Jacob's deception and theft, first of Esau's birthright and then of Esau's blessing, Jacob predicts, as we would predict if we were in his shoes, that great hostility awaits him when he returns home. If we had taken that equivalent from someone that was in our family or a close friend, we would expect the same hostility. Uh, and so when this is the home yet that God has called him to return to, and so here he is. And so Jacob, at this point in the story, he's coming home. He's truly afraid of what awaits him at home. And so Jacob does what a lot of us do when we're afraid and we have to go to a tough situation. He starts planning. All right, any planners out there, any people live with a planner, know what that's like? Uh, he's a really great planner, turns out, Jacob. And so he gets busy and he sends messengers to his brother Esau. And now Jacob is dealing in a whole economy of messengers, which is fascinating because he's seen these little glimpses of angels along the way. And at the beginning of this chapter, you see he, he notices these angels among him and he's like, gosh, surely God is, is with me again. And he has these little fleeting encounters with angels and, and they're otherwise known as God's messengers. And then he decides to send messengers to his brother Esau. And his brother Esau then sends messengers back to him. So Jacob's well-versed in the life of messengers at this point. And basic message that Jacob sends to Esau is, hey, I've been a stranger in my father-in-law's country for a long time now, and I'm coming home. And I am seeking favor in your eyes. That's a pretty big ask, right? I've stolen from you, I've cheated you, I've lied to you, and I'm asking for your favor. So the messengers return and they say, okay, message received. Esau says he'll come to meet you and he's bringing 400 men with him. <laughs> so normally when you get a message back like that, it, it does cause a little fear and a little anxiety going, okay, I'm not just meeting with my brother. I'm meeting with 400 of his posse. So that's, that's what I have to deal with. We don't know what that's going to look like. So the text tells us in Genesis 32, 7, that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So the first part of his plan is to divide his camp into two. So he takes half of what he has and he sends it over here and then he takes the rest of his camp and he takes his family and he goes over here and he figures by splitting up the camps that at least if Esau attacks one camp, the other half will get away while the attack is happening. So that's his really good military strategy there to avoid losing his entire clan. And so Jacob struggling as he does in all of his relationships, planning to get away yet again. Jacob has had enough encounters and been blessed enough by God at this point that he knows a really good thing when you're in trouble and when you're afraid and when you're scared is to pray. And so Jacob pauses at this moment after all the plans are made and he offers this beautiful prayer to God. 
And this is the, the first, really, this is the only real full-length prayer that we have like this in the whole book of Genesis. All 50 chapters, this is the one. And so it's, it's very beautiful. It also has all the signs of someone who's scared. And so I think we can hear some of our own words in this prayer. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and your kindred that I may surely do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of your steadfast love and the faithfulness that you have shown to me. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan, right? He's like, I was a man on the run. I had nothing to my name when I left home. But because of you, you've blessed me. And now I have become two camps. I've become so many that we can split up like this. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I'm afraid of him, that he might come and attack me and attack the mothers of the children that are with us as well. But God, you said, you ever say this in your prayers? God, you said, you promised me, surely you will do me good. I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for the multitude. So he's wrestling with the promise. He's like, you promised me my descendants that I had Abraham's promise and my descendants would, would outnumber, you know, the sands of the sea and they'd be that numerous. But if I die right here in this camp, I don't see how that's gonna, you know, translate. So God, what, you told me you're gonna surely do good to me. How's this gonna work out? I'm scared of my brother. Please deliver me. And, and Jacob acknowledges at this point in the prayer that he's, kind of done some sorry things and he's been a little bit of an undependable guy but he says it's your steadfast love has said is the hebrew word your steadfast love is is has been pledged to me and you've been with me even when i didn't deserve it i'm underqualified to carry out this mission to be the the point person for this blessing that you want to give to the world but yet you've told me that this is the way it's going to go so please deliver me at that point, after he finishes this terrified prayer, he, he sets up plan B of his plan, uh, plan B of the plan, that I didn't really work that out right in my head, but anyway, the second part of his plan is that he's going to send a gift to his brother. So he knows his brother's coming with these 400 guys, and he's scared, and he says, I know what I'll do, I'll send a gift, like a nice welcoming gift, and Esau will be so overwhelmed by my welcoming gift that it'll kind of ease the tension. You know, it's a good thing. It's like if somebody comes over to your house, like, here's a gift, here's this, whatever. Maybe you won't notice the fact that I swindled you out of your birthright. And so he puts this package together, and this package, this welcoming package, tells us a lot about Jacob's wealth and exactly how wealthy he was. And if you want to go look at commodity prices and do some figuring, we could ask our ag producers in the room. This is a vast amount of wealth in today's world. It was an unbelievable amount of worth of wealth in that world. For example, this present is 200 ewes, it's 20 rams, it's 40 head of cows, it's 10 bulls, it's 40 donkeys, it's 30 milking camels and their calves. That's the offering. Now, I don't know anything about sheep, and I know very much not anything about camels, and I know not much about donkeys. I know a little bit about cattle, and I know in today's figures, we could easily put that number at 100K. That's about what that would be worth today. Uh, 40 cows, 10 bulls, depending on your, your, where you live and what you're raising. But it's a big number. I'm just guessing, I'm going on a limb saying that 30 milking camels are worth even more than that. If any of you have camel you know, production experience, uh, I'd love to hear some thoughts about that. But um, 
the thing that really stands out is Esau is prepared for this meeting. I mean, he is ready. He is ready for this meeting. He's done everything he can do. And then he throws up his hands and says, God, I can't do anything else. I want you to deliver me from my brother. So the preparations are in order. And then at this point in the story, Jacob is left alone. And there's this big pause when you're reading the story. And, oh, man. And now Jacob's left alone and the sun's going down. And at dark, Jacob finds himself in a meeting that he most definitely did not prepare for. We know what that's like too, right? We know what it's like to prepare for a meeting. We also know what it's like when you show up to a meeting and you realize, I didn't even know this was happening. I'm underprepared. So that meeting looks like this. And a man wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of the day. That's the meeting that he wasn't ready for. And a man wrestled with Jacob the breaking of the day and we don't get the play-by-play -play on the brawl on exactly how that part went down we just know that it lasted till morning we know there was a conversation and we know Jacob walks away with a limp that's what we know about the fight we also know that Jacob didn't start the fight notice that Jacob didn't set out on the road remember he's the little guy in the story he's not the guy that likes to fight he's not the guy you know sometimes we hear the story it's like Jacob just loved to wrestle he's like oh, whatever no he didn't he was not that guy and so he did not initiate the fight somebody else did that at this point in the story all we know is a man wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of the day now a few notes on wrestling and I'm not talking about like WWF and all that. Y'all probably have some great notes on that. You can share with me. Um, but just speaking from my own limited experience of growing up in a house with three brothers, my wife grew up in a house with two twin brothers. Uh, one, one of my greatest joys in life, honest to goodness, is wrestling with my children. All three of my kids, in their own way, when they were little, they loved, they loved to wrestle. It didn't matter what we were doing or what was going on. They loved to jump on you. They loved to crawl around. You were watching football, whatever you're doing. We, you know, tore up more carpet area just wrestling over the years. Uh, just, just worn that spaces out, just having a good time, letting kids crawl over. They loved the kinetic, you know, action that that brings. And so they loved, they loved to wrestle. I loved wrestling with my kids. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, I wrestled with my brothers also, and even though they were three younger than me, uh, in every decade of my life except for my 40s, uh, I injured them and they injured me. And this is, this is true all the way into my 30s. We, we had real injuries. And so, uh, so this is a, it's just something that we do. I have really close friends that, you know, again, in college and whatever, we just get together and something would happen and we would just end up wrestling. I don't know why, it just, it just happens. But anyways... Amberly's twin brothers, we'd hear stories about, and I love hearing their mother talk about their fights, you know, and uh, there's this great one where, you know, there's this, you can only hear one side of the story, and she's on the phone with them, and somebody else is in the story with her, and all this person overhears is, don't you guys get blood on my carpet, you know, and so it's just normal, like brothers wrestle. I imagine that twins, it's even more exaggerated, and that makes me wonder, I wonder who Jacob thought he was wrestling. I wonder who Jacob thought had interrupted his little night moment. I kind of wonder if Jacob thought he was wrestling Esau. Do you think, you think maybe he thought that Esau had snuck around to his camp and thought, you know, forget all the messengers and stuff. I'm just going to go catch Jacob before he goes to bed. We're going to have a nice little brawl and sort this out. I don't know what he was thinking, but I'm thinking that's at least a possibility. So in the story... This man that's wrestling Jacob sees that Jacob is holding his own. Jacob's really putting forth a struggle, so much so that he won't let this guy go. 
And so this, there's some drama at this point. The guy says, I'm not letting you go. And so he touches the hip socket of Jacob, and Jacob's hip is put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And the guy says, let me go, for the day has broken, right? And in, in, in these ancient cultures, these stories with these encounters you'd have at night, the, 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 the person had to leave when it was sunrise, whatever was going on here. Let me go, for the day is broken. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob is craving the blessing, right? I think he's craving the blessing that he didn't swindle for. He's craving the blessing that he didn't deceive to get. And so he's asking this guy, he knows there's something bigger here at this point. He knows it's not just an ordinary person. He knows there's something divine happening. And he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And so the reply to Jacob is, what is your name? And obviously we know this divine character already knows Jacob's name, but for effect, he says, what is your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. And so he says, well, your name is no longer going to be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Isn't that beautiful? Jacob, who knows that his name, even his very name, is attached to all of these deceptive-type tendencies, right? Heal, um, trickster, overreacher, swindler, supplanter, Yaakov. And he says, your name will no longer be Yaakov, but it will be Yisrael, one who has contended with God. You've wrestled with God, and you have prevailed. There's this dramatic thing that's happening. There's a conversion that happens here. A new name is given. And so Jacob, after sharing his name and realizes he, realizing he has a new name, he then turns to this divine messenger and he says, what is your name? And the man says, why is it that you ask my name? And then he proceeds to bless Jacob. To bless Jacob. Jacob finally gets, I think, the blessing that he needed. It's the one that he didn't deceive to get. He didn't cheat to get. He didn't lie to get. This is a blessing that he wrestled for. He was humbled for, and he walks with a limp to prove it. Now, the whole distance between Jacob and God is not bridged here, but I think Jacob got as much as he could handle. He doesn't get God's full revelation. He doesn't even get God's name at this point. But he gets what he can handle. And we don't get access to God's name at this point yet either in the story. It's not until later in the character of Moses, remember, who meets God in the burning bush and he says, I am, right? My name is I am. I am that I am. This, this comes later. However, it seems like what Jacob does get with this blessing is it seems that he gets a certain measure of peace. There's a peace that Jacob has that comes with his limp. And when we wrestle with God, I think we find peace. Or maybe a better way of saying it is that peace finds us. We find in contending with God, or when God contends with us, what we can only discover glimpses of or shadows of in our ordinary lives with friends and family. We find, I think, in our contending with God, what St. Paul refers to as the peace that surpasses all understanding. This is a peace that does not come easily, it does not come without struggle, and yet it provides strength and comfort 
when it comes. We exchange commonly and have for 2,000 years a greeting among Christians or we'll say the peace of Christ be with you or peace be with you. It's a way of sharing the characteristic that marks us as a people. It's a way of reminding one another that this is who we are. We're a people that wrestles with God and we receive this peace and we share it with the world. We share it and live in it together, one with another. We are a people that God wrestles with and blesses. So the peace of Christ be with you. The church is formed in this way. Israel, the people of God, is, are formed this way. This is the peace we embody. This is the reality that we share. Now I confess that when it comes to blessing, I prefer the idea of a quick blessing. I prefer the idea of a quick transaction, one that doesn't really cost me a whole lot. Remember the disciples and they're traveling along the road with Jesus and uh, they kind of speak up, they get enough confidence among themselves to say, hey Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, you know, which one of us are going to sit in the thrones on your right and on your left? Like who gets the cool seats whenever you're reigning over all things and all this is sorted out? You know, you think me and John, me and Peter, like who, who gets to sit on your right and your left? That's the kind of quick blessing that I want so often. And uh, can we get the thrones on your right and your left in the new kingdom? You know, what would that be like if it wouldn't be too much trouble? And so Jesus' response in that story reminds us that we want thrones and Jesus instead gives us crosses and cups of suffering. Jesus wrestles with our idea of being disciples and followers. He gives us a new one, a new idea of being a disciple and a follower, which in a way creates a little bit of a limp for us. Jesus commands us to deny ourselves and carry our own crosses. And we realize that when we carry the cross of Jesus in this world, we will no doubt walk with a limp. Yet this is a mark of healing. It's a sign to the world that what is broken can be healed, that what is left to darkness awaits sunrise, and what is buried by death can rise again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.